0: Marvelicious Toys is brought to you in part by Dorkside Toys. At DorksideToys.com, you can get the latest Marvel toys, as well as Star Wars, G.I. Joe, The Walking Dead, and more. Run by toy fans, you can be assured your order will be given great attention and packed with care. Sign up to their social channels now for stock alerts, reviews, and toy and movie news. DorksideToys.com. You'd be a dork not to shop there. Welcome to Mallardlicious Toys! With the hosts trapped in a podcast they never made, Arnie, Marjorie, and Justin. And special guests, Howard the Duck stars Leah Thompson and Ed Gale. We bring you news and reviews of Howard the Duck toys, statues, and more, because not all Marvel collections can be laid and hatched. They're not just toys, they're Mallardlicious!
1: Hello and welcome to Mallardlicious Toys, this is Marjorie.
2: I am
3: not Arnie anymore.
4: Yeah I am, Arnie. (laughs) And I'm more than just a little bit disturbed. Ah, Justin.
3: You should be Justin.
1: (laughs) I live this.
3: (laughs) So yes, welcome to Mallardlicious Toys, a special show. Marvelicious Toys is taking a week off, but you will be back in two weeks with more Marvel Legends reviews. Enough of shipped. In the meantime, remember to check out our Podbean fundraising campaign, because we'll have some backer-picked reviews, and our sponsored Dorkside Toys for the latest Marvel Legends, and Packaged and Loose, as well as the build figures But this is not the time to talk about new toys, because in August 1986, 30 years ago, George Lucas's follow-up to Return of the Jedi came out in theaters, Howard the Duck. <laughs>
4: yes, it did.
3: Now, I've talked quite a bit over the years of this show about my Howard collectibles, but Justin, do you have any Howard stuff? Ooh, you know,
4: I used to have the Toy Biz Marvel Legends Howard that came with Silver Surfer. It's been lost in a box somewhere for 10 years. So yes, I have that somewhere, and I have the most recent collector set with Howard, and outside of that, well, I guess I have the DVD that I picked up for five bucks one time. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's about the, the end and beginning and middle of it.
3: Yeah, I have comic-based, I mean, going back to 76, the 7-Eleven Cups, the Howard for President buttons that they sent out in the 70s. Still a better candidate than anyone running right now. <laughs> I would vote for the all-night party on the ballot. <laughs> The pop vinyl figure that just came out. The Dorbs is on the way. I've talked about the salt and pepper statue coming. And of course, we've mourned when we interviewed David Vonner that his articulated three and three quarter inch legends Howard the Duck that was supposed to come with the orange fing fang foom that we also never got.
4: Uh Two things that I really wish would have happened.
3: But we're not talking about that Howard. We're specifically talking about the Howard the Duck that George Lucas and Willard Hike brought to the screen 30 years ago.
2: <laughs>
3: People may know I am a Howard the Duck collector. We displayed some of my movie production pieces, the animatronic head and the duck feet in Indiana earlier this year. Does
1: that make you a decophile? Or what's this make you a Howardophile? Crazy? What?
4: <laughs> I wouldn't admit to anything that ends in ophile, Arnie. <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> but there's audiophile. file ah true you know that's an okay file to be
4: sure that might be the only one
1: yeah see a duck nut
4: there you go
3: i don't like the thought of duck nuts they're first of all (laughs) they're not even mammals i don't think they have testes not on the outside (laughs) Hmm. now i actually went to howard the duck opening weekend in 86 i remember that theater standee with the glowy cigar and i'm like It's the follow-up to Return of the Jedi. It says George Lucas on it. I'm going to love this.
4: We're the same age. That's 86. We're fifth grade,
3: sixth grade. You were aware of Howard the Duck then? Like, this was something you were looking forward to? 85 and 86, I went to so many movies. And we had a local theater called The Esquire. And most of my movies were there, even though it was a five-screen film. I remember seeing the trailer for The Fly at least three dozen times. And that movie came out in 86. So there was a giant standee of an egg with a cigar out coming out of it. And that cigar tip like glowed orange like he was puffing on the cigar. And it said, Howard the Duck, August 1st, from George Lucas, maker of Star Wars. <laughs> so I was well aware. I'd seen that. I'm like, I love Star Wars. Star Wars is my thing. So if this is from George Lucas... Oh my God, I was all prepared to just deep dive into Howard, because the Star Wars toys had dried up by 86.
1: Okay, but I also have to point out that to Justin and to other people listening, Arnie saw movies all the time, even when he was a little kid. He was probably the only kid that was up on this stuff before the internet.
4: Yeah, that was kind of my bigger question was, was this like something you and your friends were into, or were you kind of a weirdo? Like, because... I know in 86, we were still talking about Star Wars, maybe playing it on the playground and stuff. But I don't know anybody that, you know, ever came up to me as like, hey, you know, there's a new uh, George Lucas movie coming out and it's got a duck in it. Like, I wasn't aware of this movie until I think probably home video, to be honest wow, with
3: you. Wow. Wow. No, all my friends were excited about the new Star Wars film. <laughs> the saga of the ducks. I mean, we wanted a trilogy. I was there with a couple of friends opening day and we were all really excited. I had already bought the novelization. <laughs> of course. Which I reviewed in Marvelicious Toys issue 11. So if you want an in-depth review of the novelization, it's there. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't know. I could never call this as a kid. My parents, in like 84, I think it was, there was, with that presidential nomination, there was a Saturday Night Live thing that you could call. And my sisters called a 900 number. And then my mom got the bill and was yelling at me. And apparently we dialed the wrong number because it was to talk to an astronaut. (laughs) (laughs) So I was scared of 900 numbers. But Howard the Duck had a 900 number that you could call and get messages. They were called Duck Calls.
1: Oh, God.
4: Clever.
2: <laughs> Greetings again, Earth friends, and thank you for calling me, Howard the Duck, star of Universal Pictures' new movie. You know, I thought it would be a good idea for you to get to know some of my film friends. For airless Apes, they're really a pretty good group. Let's start with that famous scientist, Phil Blumberg. Phil, say hello. Nice. That's me. Phil. You, Howard. We be friends. Don't mind him. He's been spending too much time in the lab lately. Phil Z, do you think the movie's going to be a smash hit? Theoretically, yes. Unfortunately, it's never been tested. Yeah, I see. Uh, how would you describe it? To everybody. <laughs> I've just seen it. Thank you, Phil. Once again, science takes another giant step forward. Let's talk to Phil's counterpart, Dr. Jennings. What's your reaction to the movie, Doc? Something growing inside me. It's replicating and superseding all my internal thoughts. Certainly, an honest opinion. Tell me, what what did you think the first time you met me? The world is your Hey, give me a break. I'm not that excited about being on Earth either.
3: That goes on for about a half an hour if you're paying by the
2: minute. <laughs> yeah, the longer they can keep you on, the better they're
3: doing. So how long did you listen, Arnie? I never called. Thank God somebody has recorded them in the day and put them on YouTube. And I remember the teaser trailer. Now, again, I was seeing a lot of movies in 86. I remember more trailers from 86 than I remember movies. But Leah Thompson there kind of laying down and talking about the man of her dreams and then blowing on a feather? Yeah.
1: You know, he's the most exciting individual I've ever met. He isn't into the whole macho thing, but he knows who he is and what he wants.
2: (laughs) Everyone thinks of him as a hero now, but I share his feelings and he's touched my soul. And right now, I would give anything to run my fingers through his
5: feathers.
3: I remember that trailer very well, and I mean the Thomas Dolby song had a music video that even got some airplay on MTV, I was, I love Thomas Dolby.
4: I, I love She Blinded Me With Science, I think that might be the most I know about him.
3: Back then I knew a couple more songs. Today I know Howard's stuff and yeah, blinding me with science. But <laughs> in eighty six I was much more up on him. Oh
4: so yeah, this was this is Leah Thompson's follow up to the success of Back to the Future,
3: then, right? There was Space Camp in between. Oh, okay.
1: Which if you've not seen Space Camp people, you need to. It's a really great movie.
3: So she she's getting pretty big at this point. She is, and we'll talk about that more when the interview with her a little later this show. And I remember seeing this movie, and I don't think I could tell good movies from bad back then. I I think it was just learning. But I knew that it was from George Lucas, it had great special effects, it was funny, and that dark overlord haunted my dreams. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Listeners of Now Playing know that, like, Six years later, I'm a college student doing a Rorschach test for a study, and they show me ink plots I'm like, butterfly, teacup, dark overlord. And they're like, wait, go back. I need to explain that. I don't see Satan. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, it's much weirder than that.
3: <laughs> and they're like, no, we don't allow other expl- explanations. I'm like, but I really need to give you one. <laughs>
4: Uh, yeah, that, that thing was scary, and almost a little Todd McFarlane-ish in design.
3: See, to me, it just looks like an iteration of the Rancor. Well, yeah, I can kind of see that.
1: Yeah, I, if you watch them knowing Star Wars as an adult, when you go back and look at that, you're like, it's a Rancor.
3: It's like the Rancor bred with a scorpion.
4: Yeah, I mean, kind of reminds me something out of, I'm sure you've seen the movie Spawn, that really bad one from the mm-hmm. late 90s. Yeah, it kind of yeah.
3: looks like the clown in his violator form. Yep. Yeah. But surprisingly, or not, this movie had very few tie-ins. I think the reason I'm an all-in Howard the Duck Collector is that's really easy. Right? (laughs) There's just (laughs) not that much. I'm surprised. I mean, where's my Dark Overlord Kenner toy? And Howard in Bathhouse outfit? And... Howard with condom. I mean, where are these toys? (laughs) You know, I would probably throw down
4: forty or fifty bucks for a figure arts Howard the Duck based on the movie character.
3: That would
1: actually be really cool. That would be awesome if they actually did that someday.
4: Get some articulation in there, maybe a couple different exchangeable beaks with different expressions.
3: Yeah. I'd love a figure arts Howard. I honestly would just do anything for a Dark Overlord. I have custom <laughs> Howard figures that we'll talk about in a little bit. So I feel like I've got a movie Howard, but I don't know that anybody can custom me an articulated Overlord.
4: Yeah, that's it has got quite a bit of stuff going on there. A lot of tentacles and mouths, and it would be quite intricate if you did.
3: I would be so down for that. Unfortunately, this is kind of the lost child Marvel, Will Not Own It, Lucasfilm. I don't know, maybe for the 40th anniversary of Howard, I'll commission somebody like salt and Pepper to just do a maquette for me.
4: There you go. Eh, You know, and as years go on, 3D printing and modeling gets a little more cheaper and more affordable. So, you know, maybe one day somebody will have
3: that 3D model made. But while they didn't do the toys, there was some merchandise for this. I'd say of note, the things that would probably be more than my dollar a week allowance first of all they actually made a wristwatch for this movie
1: that's odd
3: it's got the egg with the beak and the cigar on it and the howard the duck logo other than that it's a pretty plain watch like these days i'd be all cynical about it and be like yeah they just slap a lot of paper behind that watch (laughs) put it in the same red casing (laughs) It looks like a Swatch watch. Well, that was the style at the time.
4: Yeah, I mean, like, right down to the, the rubbery, changeable wristbands and stuff. I wouldn't be surprised to find out if this is a Swatch. A branded Swatch.
1: I had so many Swatches. Remember the scented ones?
4: Oh, boy. <laughs>
1: I love those as a little girl.
3: <laughs> There's no Swatch label on it. This thing's been lost to the annals of time. I've only seen one ever on eBay, and I bought it. And it doesn't work, but it looks really nice. The v- band is very fragile, but it is does not say swatch anywhere on the back or anything other than water-resistant and stainless steel back. But hmm. So if it isn't a swatch, they're really just going after that style. Yeah. Trying to be all hip.
1: Hmm? <laughs> I suppose they're hip now
3: again. The other thing they put out that was pricey, I know I would have had to ask my parents for a... A good $30, although I would have had to ask them for a Commodore 64. (laughs) Activision put out the game Howard the Duck, Adventure on Volcano Island.
1: Ooh, was there a volcano in the movie?
3: No, this is a sequel Oh, that you play... It starts off. You remember how games were in the eighties? Like, if you wanted to know what the hell you were actually playing, you had to read a book. <laughs> all my Atari Twenty Six Hundred games would have like one page of setup. Oh yeah. Well, this one's story is: Where'd everybody go? They were right here a minute ago. Beverly and Phil, you were all dancing. Yeah, that's it, dancing to the radical sounds of the Cherry Bombs. Does that mean they were having a three-way? <laughs> I mean, is dancing in air quotes by chance? No, it just says you were all dancing. Yeah, that's it. Dancing ellipses.
1: (laughs) Maybe Howard didn't know what it was called, or maybe he's being nice and doesn't want to...
3: I don't know. Yeah, I'm (laughs)
1: thinking that dancing is a euphemism.
3: But now everyone's gone, and you, Howard, where are you? Why is it you seem to have floated down to some volcanic island somewhere in the middle of nowhere, or everywhere? It's all starting to make sense. Your best friend's gone, volcano island, the Dark Overlord. That's it. The Dark Overlord has kidnapped Beverly and Phil and brought them to this volcanic island because he's hooked up on thermal energy, needs to tap into it constantly to maintain his power. You know that he knows that you're the only one that, who can foil his plans to take over the earth, but he thinks he can turn you into duck soup to make the world his oyster. That seems a mixed metaphor. It
1: does. I'm not quite sure what they're going for there. I was about to say that doesn't make any sense.
3: Seafood and poultry? <laughs> Gonna have a bad time. <laughs> what he doesn't know is you're a quackfu master, an avid ultralight flyer, and a whiz with a neutron disintegrator. So take him up on his challenge and show the dark overlord that his treacherous plan isn't all it's quacked up to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Why, why is this whole thing a
4: question? Like, like, even the game makers aren't sure that this is the premise of the story.
3: <laughs> I mean, it could be,
6: perhaps.
3: <laughs> well, this was one of those games that was available both on floppy disk and cassette. Ooh, cassette.
4: Whoa. <laughs> Floppies, I remember. I don't remember playing games off of
3: cassette. C64 had a cassette reader. Oh, jeez. I do remember my friends having this. You'd put in just what looks like the Howard the Duck soundtrack, and it would start spinning up and going back and forth and load to level very, very, very slowly, and then you'd play the game. <laughs> now, I have never owned a C64, but dang it, when I found out about this game, I did download an emulator and play it.
4: And? Hours and hours of fun?
3: Well... I've played it for hours and hours. I can't say it's been fun. The game is really hard and the controls are really difficult because there was only one fire button and then a whole bunch of combos like pre-Street Fighter without the accuracy. And depending what level you play on, you have to play on like expert or advanced in order to get to the third levels. You have to play on intermediate just to get to level two. Otherwise, you're just stuck on level one if you're playing on novice. And at those harder levels, I had some trouble just on intermediate getting past some of the enemies on the first level. So I've yet to beat it. I have devoted like some hours one day doing it, and I'll get back to it someday. But I just love having Howard on a volcanic island. I mean, it makes as much sense as when Leisure Shoot Larry went to a volcanic island, right? Sure.
1: I- is that a crossover?
3: That really should be as the two of them out cruising for chicks. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean, hey, they both have Hawaiian shirts. You know, they probably share a lot of the same wardrobe.
3: They both have strange voices. (laughs) My question
4: is, was this game made with hopeful and wishful thinking in mind? Like, oh, we're going to have this game ready to go when the movie's a big hit. We're going to have a game tie-in. Or did this game somehow get made after the movie was already released? And they said, yeah, let's cash in on the Howard the Duck phenomena. This came out in 86. So they had to be working on it before
3: yeah they thought that it was going to be the next big movie and need a tie-in game and so yeah they made it back then and activision developed and published and i mean the really disappointing thing for me is that commodore 64 had such bad sound effects we were robbed i didn't get like a midi or eight bit rendition of the howard the duck theme (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Do you ever think we'd be nostalgic for MIDI?
4: <laughs> it is. I mean, it's a very specific sound. It is. It, it can take you back to a fun time in life or to a, a C64 duck game.
3: <laughs> now, I was buying some Howard stuff back then, though. We had a local bookstore, Chapter One, and at their checkout counter, they had all kinds of cards and movie tie-ins, and I bought the gremlins trading cards there i bought garbage pail kids there and yes i loaded up on howard the duck trading cards and i chewed the hell out of that horrible pink gum
4: Ooh, that stuff can make you sick but i love the smell of it
3: yeah i have some of the packs and you still get the smell i wouldn't suggest eating the gum we know someone who did they threw up Ooh.
1: i tried to take a bite of it and what happens is it turns sharp like glass (laughs)
3: Yeah, it becomes rock candy, right? The sugar crystallizes?
1: Yeah, but worse. Imagine chewing
4: razor blades. Oh, boy. Yeah, it just shatters rather than breaks.
3: But there is this full set, and you can get these trading cards, full sets, really inexpensively on eBay. The base cards, there were 77 of them with uh, information on the back, and then there was a 22-sticker set and the backs of those formed puzzles so you got the little large picture going on there.
4: Oh, huh, sounds very much like the Star Wars cards from the back in the day.
3: Yeah, I mean this was made by Tops. So they thought this was going to be the next return of the Jedi. <laughs>
4: <laughs> they hoped.
3: Yeah, I mean even back then,
4: you know, 86, that was getting a little little late in the game for collecting cards, you know. I mean the prime time for collecting cards from movies and stuff like that was Really, the late 70s, early 80s. By by 86, that had kind of died down.
3: Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, no, by 1990, I was still collecting Marvel Masterworks cards. And they had those sets, and some of the chase ones went for, like, more money than I could ever imagine spending on a trading card back then. Oh, yeah. So, comics still definitely were doing them. The Marvel Masterworks were gorgeous. But, yeah, as far as movie tie-in cards, I guess this is around the time it stopped, Now, I ended up getting a couple full cases of these. And what happened is, I guess they didn't sell. And when the cards didn't sell, you know how, like, CDs, they take a notch out of the side, and books, they tear off the front cover? Yep. Apparently, with trading cards, they took a giant black Sharpie and put a line over the top. Huh, of the outer packaging or of each individual pack?
1: Of the cardboard box.
3: So when you're returning cases or selling cases really cheap, You put the big mark on the case so that you can't then return it to the distributor saying, hey, I paid full price for this. Ah,
4: yeah. It's like with magazines. If you have a store and you're returning magazines, you rip the cover off and send that. Mm -hmm. and Throw the rest of the magazine away.
3: So it's really hard to find the cases without the black marker. Almost every case. And the cases are pretty cheap. It comes to under a dollar a pack when you buy by the case. But I did find a couple without that black mark. I'm kind of happy with that. Nice. Tops actually revisited Howard the Duck. In 2013, there was a collection of cards called Tops 75th, obviously celebrating their 75th anniversary. And one of the more common cards that they had in there was a Howard the Duck card that was a reproduction of their old card, but printed, how can I describe it? The card was Landscape but they shrunk it and put it on a portrait card and left a space at the bottom where Ed Gale who played Howard signed. Oh, interesting. Those are all over eBay for about 10 bucks. Huh. I also as a kid bought the little Howard candy heads that were just like full of this little sugar like
1: kind of like sweet tarts. Yeah.
4: No, yeah, it's the it's that candy that they made everything out of, like, remember the the skeleton bones yes. that came in a coffin? Yep. You can make a skeleton. Same type of candy, I'm betting. Yep,
3: it was that kind of thing. We actually found those at Lynn's Toy Stable in Seattle. That's where I got my first collectible ones, and two of them still have the candy in them. <laughs> Ooh. And then I ended up finding a case of them, but that ant-fearing person dumped all the candy out. But I do have a whole case with the box of the candy heads.
4: I love, love, love that this comes from a time where people weren't so uptight about everything that Howard the Duck has a cigar in his mouth.
3: I know. That's amazing that all these little candy heads are smoking a stogie. <laughs> you know what I found even cooler is I picked up some bubblegum cigars with Howard the Duck on them. And I thought that maybe like the candy heads, they sold the cigars. And then I got doing research. Those were actually just given out at the premiere of the movie and that's why it's just a candy gum cigar with what looks like if we were doing it today we'd have printed labels on our inkjet and slapped them around <laughs> yeah. in a cigar. Nice. <laughs> but and it's it's like they were doing the birth thing. They say it's a duck. Nice. And have the Howard logo.
4: Did they come in both pink and blue? Pink, blue and strangely yellow. Oh, just in case you wanted to buy them and they had a kid that they weren't sure. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, but those weren't ever mass retail, but we'd marveled many times. Remember the days when you could buy candy cigarettes and candy cigars? Oh,
4: yeah. Yeah. Candy cigar gum, conversely, you know, talking about the bubble gum in the trading cards, that wasn't very good. I liked the the cigar
3: bubble gum. Oh, yeah. That was really good. That It had like a bubble yum type thing.
4: Yeah, it was tasty. Or a super rope type of flavor.
3: Then something else I did not know they made. Marjorie got me this for Christmas. Viewmaster Slides. A three disc Viewmaster set for Howard the Movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you were totally shocked. You didn't know what it was whatsoever because I found these still sealed in the package.
3: Oh, nice. We then had to have another package that I could open in Viewmaster so I could experience Howard the Duck in 3D.
4: (laughs) So do you have a working Viewmaster or did you have to go get one of the modern ones to even check this out?
1: I found a vintage one also for him.
4: Nice. Classic
3: red and everything.
1: I don't do this (laughs) half-assed. He's very hard to shop for.
4: Yeah, you buy him something then he has to go buy the same thing over again so he doesn't have to open what you got him. Yep, I know. (laughs) (laughs) The days of Viewmaster, those were great. And it was pretty impressive 3D for back in the day. Like, you could actually get a little depth of field there.
3: Yeah, still is. But primarily where you could collect this is through books. Of course, there was the novelization I mentioned. There was a storybook with the pictures in it and, you know, the telling the story very briefly. There was a three-issue Marvel Comics adaptation. Makes perfect sense. The first Marvel Comics movie. Nice. And then something... I'll just put it out there. If anybody has this, I'm desperately seeking it. Rainbow put out a Howard the Duck read-along book and tape. All right. I have listened to it on YouTube, and it needs to be heard to be believed. Really? Here's a clip of it. I've edited it down a bit. It's just some from the opening.
5: The Rainbow Theater presents Howard the Duck? You can read along with me in your book. When you hear this, turn the page. Let's begin now. The universe is a vast span of limitless space, punctuated by countless worlds, where every possible reality exists. Reality on any one world is mere fantasy on all others. Here, all is real, and all is illusion. In the beginning was Howard the Duck. Screeching like a banshee, he plummeted down towards the lights of a strange city. Down and down he went, and finally landed with a bubble in a dark and dingy alley. In this alley, there was a rock club, and inside the club, An all-girl group called Cherry Bomb had just finished performing. Beverly Switzler, the lead singer with Cherry Bomb, was just coming out into the alley. Without noticing Howard, she began to walk towards the main street, and then she stopped dead in her tracks. Two dark figures stood in the shadows, blocking her path. Say, you sing real good, baby. Yeah, and you look real good, too. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. Now, how about getting out of my way? What's your hurry? Why don't we have our own private show right here?
2: No! Stay away! Help! Somebody help me!
5: Beverly's cry stirred something deep within Howard's feathered breast. Suddenly, as the punks wrestled Beverly to the pavement, he let out a chilling yell. Hiya!
3: On my planet, we never say die. We say kill.
5: Out leapt an enraged Howard posed in the traditional fighting stance of a master of the Duck World martial art of quack-foo.
3: Yeah. So if you want to hear the rest of it, you can go to YouTube. I want it more for the book than for the audio. It actually is really painful to listen to with that New England, New Jersey accent he has going. And then, of course, there's the soundtrack, which... It wasn't until just a couple years ago I realized how much they went into that soundtrack. Of course, back then, I had the cassette. I was a cassette listener because I could always put it in my Walkman. I didn't know until, honestly, the 2000s that there was a record player no bigger than a man's shoe that was intended that you could take a record with you somewhere.
4: (laughs) Mr. Disc.
3: Yes, when they had Starcade reruns back in the aughts is when I learned about that.
4: (laughs) Luckily, you didn't invest in that technology.
3: But there was the vinyl, and it came with a fold-out poster and a sticker on the front that declared it as such. There was the 45 RPM Cherry Bomb single with Howard the Duck and Don't Turn Away, the slow ballad that Beverly sings after Howard and she kind of break up. That was the B-side. Kind of a bad choice. I would have gone with Hunger City. They went with Don't Turn Away. But then what I didn't know is there was a mega mix, 12-inch expanded single version of Howard the Duck. Hmm. And that's another full-sized LP. And then I have a CD. People say a CD of this was produced. Now I looked, CDs started being made mass retail in 82. The first album to sell a million in CD was Dire Straits Brothers in Arms in 85. So they could have put this out on CD. They also could have re-released it. I know Beverly Hills Cop was re-released in CD, but... I have one that claims to be original. My real feeling is every copy I've bought, and I've bought like four, is a bootleg. Hmm.
4: Now, like a bootleg with actual like screen printed information on the disc? Who would go to that length for Howard the Duck CD?
3: Well, I can't tell if it's screen printed or if like they inkjet printed directly on the disc. I don't know. This was in the early 2000s before that was pretty common. But Here's the thing is it isn't screen printed. That's what makes me suspicious is it isn't a silver disc with words. It's a picture, which you didn't really do back then.
4: No, 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 no. Like even more than single color disc printing didn't come around until the late Mm eighties. Like that's when they started doing maybe black and maybe a red line. Yeah. But like, Picture discs? Nope, that was way later.
3: So I'm always on the lookout for that on CD. Even the bootlegs I buy because they claim to be real go for $80 to $100. But I'm still researching if that actually exists or if I'm chasing a phantom. Could be chasing a duck. Now there were a couple tracks of John Barry's score on there. But very few people know about this. I didn't know until Michael Whitstock, who we know through Star Wars collecting and is another massive Howard the Duck collector, told me in 1999, a CD soundtrack was put out to The Black Hole. Remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Some cool collectibles
4: in my want list there from that movie. I've
3: never seen it.
4: Oh, really? Really. Oh man, (laughs) It's not a great movie, but there were some cool toys. It was a Disney thing.
3: Well, they actually re-released that soundtrack, and as bonus tracks is the complete Howard the Duck score, officially re-released. Hmm. That thing is hard to find, but I did eventually track one down on eBay that I know is real. Very nice. Music you could never get before. And then, I mean, there was a promotional push, there were a lot of magazines, there's even more Japanese ones that sometimes turn up. I had one of them was a Japanese magazine with a fold out center poster that has cherry bomb on stage. And then some like, it just looks like pictures of the dark overlord and other sh- shots from the movie. Almost like if you were just putting like Kodak pictures on your mirror. It, was, it that's how they're like arranged around the border.
4: You, you went way out of your way to not say centerfold. Is it is it a sexy picture that folds <laughs> out of the center of that magazine?
3: No, sadly it isn't the greatest picture of anything. I like got two and then bled under my thumbnail to carefully pry the staples out and remove the poster and put the staples back and unfold it because I was going to have Leah Thompson sign it at Wizard World and I looked and I'm like, nah.
4: (laughs) All that worked for nothing.
3: But Howard was featured in Rolling Stone, a couple issues of Starlog, Bantha Tracks, the Lucasfilm fan magazine. We were at Lynn's toy stable, a separate time up in Seattle or near Seattle, and we happened to find a box full of Bantha tracks. and our friends were looking through, and I'm like, eh, I don't need old publications, and they're like, hey, these have Howard the Duck on them. So I got those three issues.
4: Nice. But what else were they talking about in 86 and Bantha Tracks?
3: (laughs) The the Ewok movies.
4: Oh, wow. The TV Ewok movies. So they were probably pretty excited to be talking about Howard, but then-
3: And the weirdest one for me, Howard the Duck had a Spotlight article in American Cinematographer Movie Magazine. Like, you're thinking the great cinematographers, Lawrence of Arabia, 2001, Apocalypse Now, Howard the Duck.
4: (laughs) (laughs) This week on Masterpiece Theater... (laughs)
3: Uh, you know, that's still a current publication. Yeah, it is. And I'm surprised, or not, that so many mint condition issues keep showing up on eBay. <laughs>
4: <laughs> at some point, the surprise of the availability of Howard Items has to stop being a thing with you. Like, at some point, you have to be like, yeah, I expected to be able to find that. <laughs> you can't be surprised every time, you know? <laughs>
3: But I wasn't surprised by Starlog. I wasn't surprised by Rolling Stone. But American Cinematographer? (laughs) Oh, no, the surprising
4: that it was, it happened. Surprising that you can find it? Ah.
3: Nah. (laughs) (laughs) They also did a poster magazine. Remember when those were the thing? Kinda. You'd get these magazine-sized, you'd have to take out the staples, or when I was younger, rip them through the staples, and it would be like a double spread, double-sided. I used to buy them all the time for Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation. It seemed like they came out with one every six months. I'd have to buy two copies so I could display on my wall both sides and everything. And yeah, they had one for Howard the Duck that was kind of cool. And yes, I did buy one to keep bagged and boarded and one that I could take apart so I could see the posters. <laughs> And a couple of other odd printing things. Marjorie, you did find one thing for me again that I didn't know about. You gave it to me for Christmas, I think the same year as the Viewmaster Reels, the Howard the Duck calendar.
1: Yeah, I found that just on a random search. Every once in a while, I'll pop on and look for Howard the Duck stuff so I can kind of keep things in the proverbial back pocket for gifts for you. And I stumbled across a Howard the Duck calendar. I thought it was really cool, but I guess it makes sense because... Remember, they used to put out all kinds of stuff like that for movies back then.
3: They still kind of do. I mean, that's the reason the calendar shop opens from November to January. But that was cool because it had some behind the scenes like press photos mixed in with shots from the movie and once every seven years I can hang it up and it's accurate. That's true. And Chris Chen, who's a listener of ours who we've met so many times up in Chicago, he was at a toy show up there, the Chicago Toy Show, and he came across something I'd never heard of until he was sending me messages, and I can't believe he got them for me at such an insanely low price. I didn't even know they existed. Howard the Duck greeting cards.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely crazy. I can't believe that he found those.
3: I've never seen them on eBay. He got the full set of four of them. It's just tremendous. They even made greeting cards for Howard the Duck. No toys, but greeting cards. Like, one of them has a picture of Howard and Beverly snuggling. It was one of the press photos. It's not actually from the movie. And it has the caption, We're an odd couple.
1: I think these are great. Again, the puns are off the charts with these.
3: To be perfectly honest, I told Chris... That I would pay $300 for the set of four. It cost $8. (laughs) (laughs) Another rare item that I've never been able to find. But I will. They made a child's Halloween costume for this. Now that makes perfect sense. This comes out in August. You start selling your costumes in September. It's one of those plastic masks that you put on with the rubber band around your head, and then you have, like, the garbage bag suit. (laughs) They were still doing those in 86? Oh, yeah. (sighs) All right. I would like to see that. Do you have pictures of that? I don't have anything other than a magazine ad for it. But my memory is that came in a small box and it had like a red and white, like almost tops big boy outfit. And it was one of those masks that had the giant eye holes so that you weren't hit by oncoming vehicles. Yeah,
4: I, I was just wondering like if it's, you know, the mask is like straight on or maybe they tried to do like a side angle the way howard always is looking to the side
3: straight on with a really small beak okay you know it's more like a ridge instead of a full-on beat
4: so he could look like he just has really weird lips
3: yeah but that outfit i think based upon the comic ad i saw was by morris but then there is a mask out there that's a bit higher quality don post put one of those out
1: oh so is that on your list now
3: yeah, it has been for years. I've had the eBay save search for Don Post Howard the Duck with zero hits for years. But there's one picture of it online that says this guy on Craigslist took topless photos of himself <laughs> on Craigslist with that with that mask for sale. Murder with a smile
4: is what he's offering. <laughs>
3: Why couldn't he wear a shirt? (laughs)
4: Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah.
3: And with that, we have covered every Howard the Duck officially released tie-in product that I know of. Wow. It did not get the merchandising push it so richly deserved, although it didn't do so well in the box office, so perhaps it's for the best. But come on. No Hardy's tie-in like they did with Return of the Jedi and Gremlins with the 45 RPM records and the books. Yeah, some Howard
4: the Duck glassware from your favorite fast food restaurant. Yeah. Let me ask you this. What was this rated back in the day? Was it a PG, a PG-13?
3: PG-13 did exist. I had to look that up. Red Dawn was like the first major motion picture to be rated PG-13. But somehow, bathhouse and all... This got a PG rating.
4: Yeah, so that means that knowing George Lucas and how he likes to do stuff for kids, his idea was that this is a good kids movie. I'm really surprised that there was no push for action figures or anything like that.
1: You think it's a kids movie, even with the duck boobs and the duck sex and play duck?
4: I don't necessarily okay. think that, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that George Lucas didn't think that. George. <laughs> I mean, there were Willow action figures, and that's not necessarily a straight-up kids movie.
1: Yeah, you would think that in the time, given the, like, just ridiculous success of Star Wars action figures. Seriously, I'm
3: thinking that, too. I mean, there's why wouldn't they do that unless they read the script?
1: (laughs) Maybe it was a little easier to sell toys for mythical religious Jedi than it is a duck suit.
3: Topps bought into it, but they seem to be the only ones.
1: I'm convinced that Tops is easy to do. Those trading cards aren't expensive.
4: Yeah, printing a card isn't that hard. And I can see about this time with, you know, Star Wars and sales of Star Wars figures being pretty much dead in 86. Kenner maybe not wanting to jump in on this, but there had to be other toy companies that were upset that they missed the Star Wars boat and wanted to maybe take a stab at action figures from this movie. I would have thought maybe Mattel would have been, you know, chomping at the bit to work with a George Lucas property.
3: Well, again, it's probably best for their shareholders. They didn't, but because they didn't, I look to customizers and some really talented craftsmen and to movie-made items in order to keep going with my collection. But we're going to talk about that in a minute. First, we're going to talk to Ed Gale, who was the actor inside... The Duck Suit. Welcome to the show, sir.
7: Well, thank you, Arnie. Great to be here.
3: Now, you've got quite a few iconic roles in your resume. I mean, you were the body double for Chucky in The First Child's Play. You were station in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, a personal favorite of mine. And of course, Howard the Duck. So when you look back over all the work you've done, where does Howard rank for you?
7: Well, Howard was my very first uh, anything, my very first audition. My very first rejection, my very first callback, and then my, I believe, second rejection, and et cetera, et cetera, which eventually led to booking the role. And without sounding like a cliche, you know, the rest was history. And um, so at that, you know, there's nothing to compare Howard to at that time, because I had no experience.
3: When you were auditioning, had you ever heard of the comic Howard the Duck or anything in in relation?
7: You know, I didn't. Um, I was not even a comic book person. And you you just lost half your listenership. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's ironic with Hollywood. Almost every actor will tell you their first role. They didn't know who, you know, so-and-so. It was directed by, you know, Scorsese or whatever. Never heard of him. It's always that way, you know. It's always stuff that you've never heard of or you're not into. Your first film was horror, and you're not into horror. Your first film was this, and you're not into that. And so it's, it's always leaves you in a panic-stricken mode to deal with the unknown. And so, no, I had no idea. Of course, I went shopping, and they, how was the Duck comics? Although, you know, they existed, they were popular in the 70s. They were still in some of the older comic book shops and the prices have not went through the roof yet. And so I was able to get all of the original, uh, original, original Howard the Ducks, you know, from the seventies, not the, not the reprints in the eighties. And I read, you know, read the comics and just got an idea of his cockiness and cantankerous. And all I was doing is I was reading about myself (laughs) because I'm a smart mouth, smart aleck, quick wit, you know, it was, there was nothing. Difference between, you know, him uh, him and I on the surface.
3: Yeah, I read in an interview Holly Robinson Pete described you as fun, flirtatious, and cool, and that you had an (laughs) NC17 sense of humor.
7: (laughs) Yes. Holly was wonderful. And I always got a kick out of the casting because Holly was trying to become a singer, and Leah, of course, trying to be an actress, and Leah was cast singing and hollywood's cast and acting and she'd done so much <laughs> acting afterwards
3: yeah so you didn't know howard before the job but no of- we
7: never met we we never <laughs> met arnie you know i'd never met him he was living in hollywood i was living in michigan
3: but you knew of star wars
7: yeah that was that unknown guy what was it george lucas
3: uh-huh. yeah
7: yeah he done a couple things he's a good guy
3: so was it intimidating to jump into a George Lucas' his first production after Return of the Jedi?
7: Oh, it it it, it was phenomenal. The hard, the hardest thing that my agent, my manager, you know, had to you know get through my head is that I belong there. I'm one of them. I'm in the cast. I'm in the movie. Because it's like I don't deserve to be here. This is Leah Thompson. You know, Back to the Future. This is. Jeffrey Jones, Amadeus, you know, this is Holly Robinson, at that time, Holly Robinson, (laughs) no, Holly Robinson, Pete, Tim Robbins, Top Gun, I mean, you know, Thomas Dolby, and on and on and on. And it was very intimidating. I just never felt that I, you know, I didn't deserve to be there. These are real actors, you know.
3: And I've heard multiple stories about the number of actors who portrayed Howard in the suit. And as I understand, there were a number of young children, but by the end it was you and one other actor?
7: There was never young children. Okay. And um, the answer to your question is, is and always was one, me. The producer and director, Willard Hike and Gloria Katz, at that time, were doing anything and everything to discredit me. They didn't want anyone to know who Howard the Duck was. They wanted Howard to be just a character, you know, that it was his own. It was Howard the Duck, the movie, not Howard the Duck, the little person in a costume movie. And if you read the credits, it said Howard T. Duck, Ed Gale. That was me. And then Howard the Duck... Tim Rose, Mm -hmm. puppeteer. Steve Sleep, deceased puppeteer. Peter Baird, his father, very famous puppeteer. So Peter Baird was a puppeteer as well for Howard the Duck. Lisa Sturr's puppeteer. Mary Wells, puppeteer. Jordan Prentice, photo double. And those are all your names. They've already released the DVD. And then they uh, just this year they did the Blu-ray And if you watch the commentary for the first time and, you know, the DVD was 25 years. And that was the first time that the director and the producer used my name and praised me for helping them make their film. And it took them 25 years to realize that I was a significant part of their movie and I appreciate it. I don't have the letter anymore. I think I, I I think I ripped it up. I was so angry. I was cordially uninvited to the premiere of Howard the Duck, so I wasn't allowed to go. So Again, part of the producers and the writers' way of getting back because I got my name on the front of the credits, which they did not want. They wanted to bury my name, so that's why they did it. And the end credits, they put eight names to make people think there were eight people in the costume.:
3: So Jordan, he was the one doing like a lot of the stills and stuff.
7: He would do stills in the background. He was originally originally cast to be Howard the Duck. He was 12 years old and um they loved his cute little walk. Again, no acting experience, you know, either and or if he did, you'd never know it. Um it got to be to where the editor would say they can't use. He's having a hard the editors having a hard time cutting between myself, Jordan and the puppet. They actually had a puppet for a few weeks. And that had to go because the puppet was so stiff and jerky, and it was it just had to go. And but they still used the puppeteers, of course, to operate my face, right? Which is animatronic eyes, eyelids, eyeballs, eyebrows, beak, open, closed, beak curl to give it sort of lips like. And then the the infamous feather standing up. <laughs> you know, that, that, that was done on a, because we didn't have what all these kids have today as CGI. Everything was what we call practical. It was something that you could physically touch. And so all of the feathers is a cable. Or it was a remote control servo motor, which is what you would find in your remote control cars. If that is even a thing anymore. <laughs> So there's a lot of words that your younger audience may not have, you know, just not have been exposed to. And it's practical costumes that we used. And, you know, you knocked a guy through the wall. He went through the wall. (laughs) And now the wall can be a piece of paper and then they can fix that with a computer.
3: There were so many ducks on Duck World. Were you only Howard or were you also some of the others?
7: Oh, my goodness. I played the jogging duck. I played Crazy Webby on the television. <laughs> I played the Jock Itch. Um, I think I was the one sitting down. I don't remember if I was sitting down with Jock Itch or I was the other one that had the product, <laughs> you know, Jock Blaster or something. And then the game show, Jordan played the winner, uh, the girl who just kept, you know, screaming and jumping up and down. And I played the host with the microphone. And, um, yeah, so we, I did a lot of, and I went through all the walls, of course, when the chair broke through the walls. And Debbie Lee played the naked duck with the duck boobies <laughs> that every 12 year old noticed. <laughs>
3: yeah, it was very, it was a little shocking to me as young as I was, but it was great. Oh,
7: uh, to me, that's part of what made the movie a mess, was there was just too many ideas. Was it a horror movie? Was it a love story? Was it a musical? (laughs) You know, it was Mm -hmm. just too many ideas. It was disjointed and unfocused. But nonetheless, it still, it lasted the test of time, so.
3: When a lot of the actors mentioned that... All the attention was on you, on Howard, while filming because of the animatronics, the technical work and everything. So given that this was your first anything, what was it like to be the center of attention? Did that help you to feel like you were part of the team?
7: Well, it it wasn't the kind of attention that you would think, obviously, you know, like Leah Thompson may have had her own personal assistant, because when you're working on a film, you can't answer your own phone, you can't you know, take care of your own mail. There's a lot of things you can't do when you're working 14, 15 hours a day. And so they had the star, you know, attention. And I had the maintenance attention. I had people to every, to glue the feathers on if any fell off, you know, during um, falling down or running or doing whatever. Constant painting if the paint cracked on the the beak as it moved constant, you know, wiping off the wardrobe, you know, like a little child zipping me up, rolling up my sleeves. (laughs) And, you know, everything has to look exactly the same. And if my sleeve comes unrolled, it won't match. And a lot of people like to watch movies and look just for the bloopers. And it's kind of sad to have a life that you do nothing but look for other people's mistakes instead of watching the movie and enjoying it for what it is, you
3: know? Yeah.
7: They're looking for the mistakes, and pretty soon they're 40 years old in their mother's basement looking <laughs> at other people's mistakes, and they're missing their own. But anyway, I digress. But um, yeah, I had a whole team, and then there was the, the heat factor, so they had to keep me cool, and the food factor because they never took the costume off. For lunch breaks or anything and i lost like 30 pounds in 30 days Ooh. i'm sorry 11 pounds in 30 days i weighed 66 pounds and i went down to 55
3: were you able to give a performance did you think or was it all technical kind of work
7: oh no it was definitely uh technical performance and not you know to coin a phrase, because technically I had to stop at a specific point, look in a certain direction, do things, you know, specifically and technically. But yet I had to give a performance because Howard had to look like a duck, alive, living, breathing, cigar smoking, you know, ass slapping, (laughs) you know, duck that Howard was. And when the voice uh, was actually during shooting was Tim Rose, the lead puppeteer, mm-hmm. because he operated the mouth. He could speak through a microphone and they had a little, a little speaker off the side so the actors could hear. They tried me doing the dialogue at first and that went to hell really fast. And, um, so they had Tim's voice box that followed me and, um, Tim was able to do things. But when you, if Howard had to say, you know, yo, what's up? The whole body had to say, yo, what's up? Mm-hmm. It's not like, hi, and then raise your hand. No, it's hi with the hand. You know, the eyebrows go up. When you say, what? You know, the, the the head goes back, the shoulders go up. You have to isolate each individual muscle that reacts to every every action. And then we had to make that happen. And that's how a 10-week movie shoot becomes 10 months.
3: Did they actually drop you in water then in like the bathhouse scene? Did you have to, did the costume get wet or was that one of the puppet scenes?
7: Oh, no, that was me. And that's when they realized it wasn't waterproof. (laughs) And, you know, a $1.2 million costume shot to hell. And at $50,000 per head, we used 19 different heads because of different, you know, there was a time I was laying on my back on the floor. And Jeffrey Jones was to step over me and he wears like a size 23 shoe. I don't know. <laughs> and he stepped over me and caught his foot on the beak. And you know, we need another head now. And uh, I would stop at the wrong place, turn real fast. And it's a wall, Jerry Lewis style. And, um, there's another head. And so, yeah. And then also it, it, the wear and tear, you know, of having to put mud on it for this scene or. The mud bath, you know, that's gone. You know, that costume is gone. Or that head. A lot of the time, very, very rarely we would use a non-motorized head, but it would have to be a really quick flyby, really quick scene. Otherwise, you would notice, you know. Yeah. So it was very expensive. Dozens and dozens of pairs of feet. Dozens of pairs of hands, which I own the first pair that I ever wore. I still have that. And I have the jacket. I have certain, you know, articles that I managed to keep at least something from every film I've ever done. I've been very fortunate to do that.
3: As a lot of our listeners are collectors, can you share with us some of the items you do have Howard the Duck? Did you collect any of like the tie-in merchandise? No,
7: I only had stuff from the set that I worked on. I never cared for the, I think I had a pair of Bedtime slippers, they made Howard the Duck slippers. <laughs> and someone gave them to me as a gift. But tie-in merchandise, no. And they gave me a, a lucite, clear, you know, un- <sighs> unbreakable glass. Egg-shaped with a one of Howard's feathers in it.
3: And you were telling me before we started recording, if I can bring this up, you actually have one of Howard's duck condoms?
7: Well, it was a promo thing. Okay. It was, I, bl- I believe, at the screening at the premiere of the screening or whatever, they had like giveaway bags and they had, um, like a Howard the Duck nose with a, a last, you know, almost like a clown nose. Mm hmm. Except as <sighs> was a Howard Duck beak that everybody could wear instead of a party hat, you know, you had a party nose. And it had, uh, the, the playbill, you know, the, about the movie and the, and the credits and the whatever snapshots. I believe there was a calendar in there, a Howard Duck calendar. And then there was a Howard Duck condom, which is an actual, because for whatever reason or not, I thought it was probably the most ridiculous part in the movie was to have an actual condom in his wallet, (laughs) opened and ready to go. I mean, it's like, there was no package. (laughs) Who the hell
3: does that? When I saw this movie when I was 11, I thought that was fine.
7: (laughs) Yeah, but that's how you make a really, really, really good movie bad is you do something stupid like that. I mean, a miniature condom, fine, but leave it in the package. I mean, who the hell carries a condom, you know, out of the package. And these were the actual Howard the Duck. It looked like a miniature version of the poster.
3: Okay. So
7: it couldn't have been in the movie, because why would Howard the Duck be carrying a Howard the Duck condom? You know, that's something only Mel Brooks could do.
3: (laughs) You know, speaking of that, I did have a question again about the performance with that bedroom scene. I have always read that scene as like Beverly was calling Howard's bluff with that. But
7: yeah, this is why i o- the only thing that's ever upset me was to me it's like what type and that like Bill Cosby said, and you have to be a special kind of stupid. What would watch or did Watch Howard the Duck, and said the sex scene grossed him out, or the sex scene traumatized him as a child. I was in the movie, and I didn't do a sex scene, so I don't know what sex scene you saw. <laughs> but Howard was, if you, if you watch the movie, and stop worrying about what little mistakes can you see, what little of this can you watch, you know, and just watch the movie and enjoy it. Well, she, Beverly was calling, and you're the first person, to ever actually say this and which is i've been saying for 30 years beverly was merely calling his bluff when he said you know well you never know you know you could find happiness in the animal kingdom and she's like looked right at the camera with one of these goofy eyebrow raises like you know oh i'm gonna play this for what it's worth you know <laughs> and so she says oh really let's try it and of course i was like um no no um I um I can't no you know et cetera et cetera and so what what part does that lead to be sex <laughs> now the only the again an, another you know decision on the director's part it you know, was for her to kiss him on the cheek good night but they needed a a silhouette you know when the other doctors came in the room mm-hmm. and so it was too slow it looked too erotic she was you know standing on her hands and knees over the top of him. Instead of just a quick peck on the cheek, good night. And on his feathers raise up. You know that's his way of getting a boner, I guess. You know the <laughs> head feathers raise up. I don't know, but they they shot it, you know, horribly to make it look like a porn. And you know, but I don't know. People watch it and they said they had sex or it was a sex scene. And you know, it just that part. I love my fans. I love everybody who. You know, loves my work. Of course, you you have to love them back because without them, you wouldn't be where you are. I always do my live video every Sunday on Facebook. You know, blah blah blah. But I can't deal with you know the idiots who don't who come up with things that they never even. I, I like. Did you watch the movie? What the hell movie were you watching? You know.
3: Well, sir. Looking back, are you proud of the work that you've done with Howard the Duck?
7: Almost oh, definitely. I I um I remember in the early days when we still had, you know, paper resumes and black and white, you know, headshots and I would carry it around to the different auditions and people would say other actors of course would say, Why why do you have Howard the Duck, you know, on your resume? I said, Because I played Howard the Duck and they said, Well I know that, but why would you put on your resume? I said, It was my first film. It made me who I am today You know, and it got me all of the work and I bought my first of three houses. So I did okay with Howard, you know. And definitely, Howard will always hold a special place in in my heart. And if I ever get to the point to where I sell all of my memorabilia, you know, and lighten the load because you got so much junk in the house, I would never sell any of my Howard stuff.
3: All right. Well, sir, thank you so much for your time. This has been... Very enjoyable for me to hear these stories firsthand like this and to just talk to somebody who also appreciates the film in addition to having worked on it.
7: Well, thank you. I appreciate you um, remembering me and <laughs> remembering who Howard the Duck is or was. Now, uh, Thanks to you and Marjorie both, and we will definitely stay in touch.
4: Oh, man, Arnie, that's got to be killing you that he's got the howard the duck official condom i
3: know i can't find anything about it online and i thought when he first said it we were talking before the interview i thought he had actually the prop condom mm. from the film that beverly pulls out of his wallet
4: the number one thing i remember from that movie to be honest with <laughs> <laughs> if i'm being perfectly honest
1: not the duck boobs
4: <laughs> not the dark overlord nope Duck condom. First thing that always comes to my mind. I don't know why, because I think maybe I thought, hey, I could probably make one of those. Just cut up like a surgical glove and roll it up and there you go.
3: (laughs) You're right. (laughs) But yeah, that kind of thing that he's talking about, the movie production items, the cast and crew items, those are some of the easier things to collect because they were given out to everyone who worked on them and I mean, there's the jacket that Leah Thompson wore recently. When she was doing Dancing with the Stars, she did a photo shoot in, like, a dancer's leotard in that jacket.
4: Oh, and that pose is very, very becoming.
1: I just want to say that she actually got more beautiful than she was when she was younger. She is amazing looking in person.
3: My favorite item, though, isn't the jacket, but... Every so often, some of these pop up on eBay for under $100. They made a Lucite Howard the Duck egg for the cast and crew, and then it has a single duck feather inside the egg. Oh, that's cool. It's really cool looking. But they had caps and shirts, and of course, copies of the script were handed out to everybody, and if you can find them, movie props and vhs tapes of behind the scenes stuff a lot of that's going around but don't collect that please because i don't need any competition (laughs) (laughs) there have been quite a few home video releases of this of course in the 80s they put it out on vhs and betamax i
4: betamax
3: i just last week found finally An unopened, still shrink-wrapped, never-been-played VHS copy from back then. That's cool. The Betamax, the hunt is still going.
4: There was a lot less Betamax households, so that would mean a lot less of those would have been sold.
3: Especially by 86. In 82, the war was on.
4: Right, 86, the war was over, and if you still had Betamax, sorry, pal.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It was like Germany between World War I and World War II. It was just kind of limping along.
4: (laughs) Even though Betamax was a superior format,
3: it it lost the war. Ah, but the truly superior format, Laserdisc. Oh, yes. And this had a U.S. release and an awesome Japanese Laserdisc release. I love the cover for that with all the Japanese characters all over it. It is gorgeous.
4: Did they ever do a Criterion Collection Laserdisc for Howard the Duck?
3: Sadly, no. The closest we got is the DVD that came out in 2009. I was so happy when this got a DVD release. I thought it would never come out on DVD. I had watched it probably over a hundred times on VHS. I was one of those kids who would tape movies off of rented tapes. And that's, (laughs) I mean, that's when VHS has cost $110, otherwise known as 110 weeks of my allowance. (laughs) So I had to. It was, and I just watched that all the time and when it came out on DVD I was at Best Buy that day and I don't know why I was thinking first of all this was about 10 years ago so I was still buying discs at Best Buy and physically going to a store instead of having Amazon deliver them to me but second of all I don't know why I thought there'd be a mad rush for Howard the Duck DVDs that I had to be there at opening on Tuesday (laughs) when (laughs) I got there I'm the only one
1: (laughs) bit of overkill there
3: well that was a special edition dvd and it had the trailers and it had a looking back kind of retrospective for it for its 23rd anniversary then in 2013 it came out on blu-ray overseas of course I found out about this when it there was a steel book, and I needed that steel book, and oof, I did get one—the German steel book—and it is the coolest thing because, in addition to having the egg on the front, right, and it's the international release, so they could still have a cigar on it. Oh yeah, they took the cigar off at some point, huh? They took the cigar off for the American release in two thousand nine. The DVD, he doesn't have a cigar. What he has is it's still the bill coming out, but no cigar. And then they added duck feet coming out from the bottom of the egg. So they just completely redid that art. And we're like, well, a bill isn't enough. If he can't have a cigar, uh, feet? (laughs) (laughs) How can you take
4: the cigar away from Howard? That's like his iconic thing.
3: And Nick Fury's and Wolverine's yeah but the back of the steel book is every bit as cool as the front. I couldn't believe it. They took scenes from the movie and printed them like a comic book with thought bubbles and panels and in the steel book, they really it looked kind of cell shaded.
4: Oh, I kind of remember talking about this when you got it. That sounds very familiar. I think we talked a little bit about this when you finally did get the auction shipped to you
3: and then I did find a french blu-ray that is that exact same art but not steelbook so i was actually able to see the comic art a lot better than i could on the reflective steelbook oh yeah and then unbelievably early this year just in time for the 30th anniversary howard the duck on blu-ray here in the states Woohoo! And for that, they used the poster art of him reading the Rolling Egg magazine with Beverly or Leah Thompson on the cover. That was the release poster, whereas the bill with the cigar was the teaser.
4: Okay, so it feels a little bit more movie-ish. And is that just readily available? Is that something I could run down to Best Buy and pick up now, or is that becoming something of a task to find. You still it, buy movies at Best Buy? You know, when I'm when I'm there picking up my internet orders. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's right now forty seven percent off at Amazon for seven dollars and eighty eight cents. Well, all right. And it has the special edition DVD features: the look back at Howard the Duck, releasing the Duck, and then four vintage featurettes and the teaser trailers. Nice. And. Really, yeah, it's theater items that are still worth going for. At movie premieres, they also handed out stickers to people that say, the duck stops here, or duck, Howard's coming.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The puns on this are, like, out of control.
4: (laughs) That was all George Lucas is doing. He had, like, half an idea for a script, but he had a ton of puns he had to get out.
3: (laughs) There were a lot of posters for this released.
1: There are a lot of posters, period. This is just insane, the number of posters for this movie. I don't, was this like the dawn of movie posters or something at this time?
3: No, I think it's just because we have expanded our horizons. In the States, there was the teaser poster with the egg and the cigar. And then there was another teaser poster that's even more inappropriate. It's a Budweiser can. They actually got Budweiser as like a product tie in. And one of Howard's hands is around the bud. And really, shouldn't it be Beakweiser or something?
1: It should be, yes.
3: The other hand is holding a burned down cigar. And the tagline is, all he wants is a good beer, a cigar, and a one-way ticket home.
4: <laughs> oh, I wonder which way that cross-promotion went. Did Budweiser pay to be a part of that? <laughs> or did, did Howard the Duck pay to have Budweiser look like they're sponsoring this whole fiasco? <laughs>
3: Then the release poster, remember the days where you had to actually buy a ticket to see the monster? You couldn't see E.T. in the trailers of the poster, and you couldn't see Jaws. Nowadays, they're going to show you the Jurassic Park dinosaurs in the trailer and be like, look what we made, come see it. But back then, even the release poster just teased Howard with the top of his head and sunglasses and seeing his feet as he read Rolling Egg magazine. Yeah but some of the international posters are actually really awesome. There's a character focus poster that comes vertically as well as horizontally that has like the the biggest focus of it is Jeffrey Jones, the Dark Overlord. <laughs> it's like on his face dead center it's got beverly and phil as they're being electrocuted by him and then in the very middle is the semi-truck now yes the dark overlord drove one but it makes me think of another 1986 movie maximum overdrive (laughs) oh you know there's
4: like In some countries, like I think Japan or China maybe even is one of them, where they get American movies and they pay somebody else to like draw what the movie is about so they're not totally bootlegging. And this looks like what's happened here. Like somebody like just saw clips of the movie and drew a new poster for it. This is not representative (laughs) of what actually happens in the movie.
3: (laughs) I don't know if that's the case. There are English language ones of this. I ended up getting a great French one, and it turns out that the French theatrical release posters were much bigger than the United States theatrical release posters.
1: It is huge, and actually, there's a local framing shop where I take things to that I want done in you know high quality and done right. And the woman used to work at a movie theater. So she knows all about movie posters and what year the size has changed. I mean she's a wealth of knowledge about this stuff. I took this into her and she's like, What the hell? This is not American. Where did you get this? And she opened up, she's like, okay, okay, yeah. Um you know we have nothing to fit this, right?
3: Oh boy. Forty seven inches by sixty three inches. Wow,
4: that's like those college dorm day posters like those four foot by eight foot posters mm-hmm. that they had of all your favorite bands and i think everybody had a pulp f- that size yeah that's a big poster
3: all french movie release posters were that big that is how big like the frames were that they just slide them in you know how ours had the 24 by 36 they have the well their metric so am <laughs> <laughs> not gonna
5: do
1: that conversion sorry folks
3: but it's 47 by 63 give or take a few millimeters
4: <laughs> And the word marquee is French, so, you know, maybe, you know, they just wanted to go bigger and better with it.
3: The poster that I found the coolest, though, was their Eastern European, like, German and Russian release poster. This is what looks like bootleg art. It looks honestly like Ace Duck from Disney or the, whoever the pilot duck was from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You've got this <laughs> tough-ass looking duck with what looks like a flight scarf around his neck.
4: Yeah, very, very much pop art inspired.
3: And just, it says huge letters, Caxor, Howard. I apologize for mispronouncing Caxor, but I just...
4: <laughs> I don't know how else you'd say it.
3: I don't know, Kazor, Kakor? I don't know. And that translates to Drake, like a male <laughs> duck, a Drake. Right. So it's Drake <laughs> Howard instead of Howard the Duck.
4: <laughs> Howard the Drake.
3: Arnie, this would actually be kind of a cool tattoo,
4: (laughs) if you ever wanted a Howard tattoo. If I got one, I'd get the egg with the cigar. Yeah, but everybody has that,
3: right?
1: No, I don't think they do, (laughs) Justin.
3: What I also like is, uh, in the UK, and you still see this to this day on the DVD releases, it was called Howard, A New Breed of Hero. Okay. I don't know why he's just not a duck.
4: (laughs) And you don't breed ducks, you know, historically.
3: But he is a breed of animal.
4: Right. Like, I mean, why not? He's a bird of a different feather or something that actually makes sense as a pun. Like, why bring <laughs> breeding into this? I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's the duck sex? Oh, there you go. He he did breed with... Well, maybe he did. I not
1: Perhaps don't know. they think that's what the movie is about.
4: <laughs> Perhaps they're right.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of porn going on, maybe they think.
3: And then, one thing I've never found is that standee I talked about with the light-up cigar. Can't find any pictures of it online, can't ever find it on eBay. I know that it was practice, you had to send it back to the studio and they were destroyed, but everything survived somewhere. I have the original theatrical double-sided poster from this that was never displayed. If I could find that, someday, I'm a patient man. (laughs) Someday. That standee will roll up on our doorstep.
1: He'll be 90 years old. I found it, damn
3: it! I can die now. (laughs) Mission complete. Since nobody made my official Dark Overlord toy or even Howard toys, I've had to turn to the customizing community to get Howard the Duck action figures. Ooh. Now, my favorite. It's from Jawad Dar, who's a pretty well-known figure customizer.
4: Oh, yes, he is. He's he's one of the premier figure customizers out there. Does a lot of great work with Star Wars and Marvel and apparently Howard the Duck as well.
3: Yeah, he's done Lost Boys and all kinds of figures he makes them look like the reaction figures this looks like it could be official all carded and everything with the big howard the duck logo he uses the dvd logo with the feet no cigar
4: (laughs) that's very well done that's an impressive card and everything
3: and then howard's in there he charges about a hundred dollars for this and it took a while to get it i actually was referred to him through facebook but now i see him every so often on ebay It says on the back, relive the exciting action of Howard the Duck with authentically detailed custom figures. Start your own collection of sturdy, plastic, posable figures. Each measures three and a half to four inches tall. All have movable parts and are ready for saving the world.
4: (laughs) So is that literally one of a kind or is that a style that he makes and offers? Or
3: He makes quite a few. One thing he does that's really cool is the beak pokes through the bubble.
1: Oh, I never noticed that before. That's really awesome.
3: It's like the Toy Fair Vader, where the lightsaber came out. Uh, oh, that's great. Like it's coming through the egg. Now, I did get one of these loose as well. He charged a little less for it, not on the card. And I don't know what the base is. It's all soft goods. So there's some figure under here, and he replaced the head, and then just he put cloth brown pants, red shirt... Blue sport coat and white tie. I don't think this actual outfit is movie accurate, but
4: hey. It's it's business, Howard. Business (laughs) casual, Howard. It's really cute, though.
3: It's adorable. It is. And now (laughs) I have a Howard the Duck that I can put out with my Marvel three and three quarter inch figures. Very nice. Because he's actually scaled pretty well. He's just slightly taller than Moonboy from that collector's set.
4: Oh, yeah. I would say that would work with three and three quarter inch. Nah, he'd be pretty big for three and three quarter inch. Maybe a good six inch scale one, right?
3: I think six inch is too small. I think he works three and three quarter.
4: <laughs> we need to get him some duck feet. The feet are a little human-ish there.
3: Yeah, that is true. Especially since the card has the feet on it. But yeah, he came up to about waist height or so. And that's how far he comes up on a three and three quarter inch figure. All right. Now the one I got that's actually, now that you've mentioned it, you're right. This could be six-inch scale. I did buy another figure very, very recently from somebody who I found through Twitter. Hmm. Her name's Alice Favreau. She lives in France. She's Alice underscore creation on Twitter. She does a lot of custom figures as well. I've noticed she has a teak from Star Wars, the Ewok movies that she does. Nice. That's nice. Nice. But she had a Howard the Duck figure as well. A lot of people on Twitter alerted me to this. So I contacted her, got one ordered. She shipped it overseas. And I thought it was a little bit big. And it isn't until, Justin, you talked about a six-inch figures, that I realized it's great scale for a Marvel legend. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Now, what I didn't know, I mean, she calls these figures... Well, it's a figure in the way Hasbro's collector's archives is a figure in that there's no articulation.
4: Yeah, but this one is more movie accurate than the Jawad Dar one. This one, you know, she's trying to make it look just like it came from the movie rather than uh, an action figure based on a vintage style.
3: Yeah, he was doing what Howard would have looked like back then. This is what a Howard the movie toy might look like today. And this one, though, from Alice... He's also holding a cigar.
1: Nice. That's a nice touch.
3: Very nice. But my absolute favorite, Howard the Duck item. And it's gotta be a custom, but it's amazing. I found it on eBay from a Canadian seller. It is a Howard the Duck movie statue. And this thing is so screen authentic, it could be a sideshow or a gentle giant. (laughs) Is it a
4: a one-of-a-kind,
3: does it say? No, I had to do a lot of research, but they did list others after I bought mine. They always are like, buy it now 300 but minimum bid is 150 and usually there's only one bidder. All right. But after doing some research, this is made by Freakland Props and Collectibles. They have a website where they sell him for 149.95 euro. But this is Howard. It looks like it stepped right off the screen. He's wearing the scarf. He's wearing the orange and red jacket. He's holding the neutron disintegrator from the climax of the film. <laughs>
4: <laughs> He's got his camel pants, his duck feet. This is the most, like you said, movie accurate piece so far.
3: The only thing... That confuses me, in the least, is why he's standing on wooden planks.
4: Uh, yeah, it is a little out of nowhere.
3: I couldn't decide if that was, maybe they used something as a base for this statue, and that was just, it was on wooden planks, or if a lot of their statues are on wooden planks. Hmm. But this thing is absolutely incredible, and they still show up on eBay about every couple of months, Oftentimes they don't sell. I keep asking Marjorie if I need a backup in case something happens to mine. Marjorie keeps telling me no.
4: (laughs) You almost need to get one just to see if they are handmade or if they're molded somehow. I know they're hand-painted.
3: They look all identical, exactly. And this is perhaps the, the nicest Howard the Duck collectible ever made, and it's completely custom. It even has the cigar in the mouth...
4: Yeah, being hand-painted like that, the only thing that I would maybe ding just a little bit is I would give it some sort of opalescent paint coverage over that what's supposed to be his silky jacket rather than just shiny. Try to give it a little bit of more light play there just to give it that little silky look that it had in the movie.
3: The Freakland photos show it much more glossy than it appears. It actually comes off very matte in person. Hmm.
1: It's a really nice piece, though.
3: Yeah, the camel pants, the webbed feet... The neutron disintegrator. I saw that and I'm like, I need this. Even I, I didn't care what it would sell for. And then it sold for 150 and I was like tap dancing all the way home.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that is a very cool piece.
3: And then of course, I like getting custom art. Scott Blair, one of my favorite artists, did a Howard and Leia Thompson Beverly piece for me and he's since made a print of it that has sold very well. I sent one to Ed Gale and Just last weekend at Wizard World, I got Joe Quinones, who is the artist for the current Howard comic. For the 30th anniversary, Leah Thompson, not Beverly, Leah Thompson was a character in the Howard the Duck comic going to Howard's private investigation firm to get help with a case.
1: That is awesome.
4: How very meta.
3: (laughs) And the cover, the variant cover of issue nine is Leia wearing that orange and red jacket only with a picture of their new comic Howard the Duck with his little brown hat like the figure was on her back and I was he sells his original cover art for two to three thousand and I'm like I want it I want it I want it but he gave it to Leah Thompson and cool that's where it needed to go but then at Wizard World I had him draw another Leah Thompson cover not Leah Thompson the person Leah Thompson the character in the comic
1: this is all very confusing, Arnie.
3: <laughs> and it's funny because in Wizard World Philadelphia, Joe was there, and I didn't know Leah Thompson was going to be in the comic. I asked him to draw Movie Howard, and he said nobody had ever asked him to draw a movie Howard before. And so he did a great version where he's rocking out with a guitar. And so now I have a Movie Howard and a Leah Thompson, both
4: by Joe. Very nice.
3: So I think that's definitely a way to go. If you're trying to have a Howard collection, get some of your own stuff. We talked a long time ago. It was even the cover of one of our issues. I was at a horror convention and found a canvas art of Howard in a chair.
1: Yeah, just like a random custom painting that someone did.
4: I remember that one. That was pretty sweet.
3: But as hard as it is to believe, some people still have not seen this movie. 30 years. This is on constant rotation on HBO 2. I know because I watch it every time. (laughs)
4: <laughs> even though you own it multiple times on disc.
3: <laughs> well, I like it not full frame. <laughs> like it's slightly cropped on the sides.
4: And interrupted by commercials. Oh no, that's on Comedy Central.
3: <laughs> I like to not see what American cinematographer <laughs> instead see it kind of cropped.
1: We need to find it in a foreign language version.
3: There's foreign languages on multiple of the discs I own. I mean, I own French and German. But Andrew is one of our video editors. He's really being a hero, his own breed of hero this week as he's taking this show and making a full video episode out of it. But I talked to him about doing it. He'd just moved to a new house and he'd never seen Howard the Duck. That is that is weird. So he actually immediately sat down to watch it.
1: Like literally within minutes of you talking to him.
3: And that's minutes ago. So here is Andrew to give us what I can't imagine. Somebody's first impressions of Howard the Duck.
4: A fresh impression.
3: Like a newly hatched chick. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Andrew. Howard the Duck. <laughs> da, 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 da.
6: That song's gonna be going through my head now for days. Yes,
1: it is. He's
6: been infected. It's so catchy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, Andrew, you never seen Howard the Duck? How did you never seen Howard the Duck?
6: I lead a very sheltered life. I don't know. I honestly have no idea. It baffles me. It really does. It's one of those that's always been on the list. And it's also one of those that's always kind of been, there's almost a fear
3: of watching it.
6: (laughs) You know, it's, it's been hyped up as being such an amazing movie that I was afraid it wasn't going to live up to the expectations.
3: By people other (laughs) than me.
6: (laughs) Nope. Just you. (laughs) you. (laughs) Uh, I got really concerned there for a minute.
3: (laughs) What were your hopes Going in and pushing play.
6: (laughs) Uh, My hopes were to understand your obsession. And my wife told me that I needed to see it. And that was really the kicker.
3: Yeah, let's tell everyone how cool your wife is. She had seen
6: it. You know, I've known the woman 17 years now. And I'm learning new things about her every day. I found out today that she apparently saw Howard the Duck a lot when she was a kid. I I had no idea. So you saw it. Thoughts? I would be lying if I uh, didn't say that I had a rollicking good time watching the movie. Awesome. I don't think that it was the um, enjoyment that the movie makers were thinking of when they (laughs) made the movie. (laughs) Uh, I really. What's this movie's audience? That's my my question because there there's scenes where, like per, in particular, the action scenes, the quote unquote, action scenes, where like it feels like it's made for like eight year olds. <laughs> but then yeah. there's content in there that eight year olds should not be hearing or seeing. <laughs> I, I it's all over the map, and I'm not really sure where it's supposed to land.
3: well, I'll start by saying I agree. I can give you a serious answer, which is that, you know, this is by Gloria and Willard Hike, who are the screenwriters of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm -hmm. And if you watch that film, you'll see it careens all over the map, too. You get weird sex comedy stuff, like he's gonna, she'll come over, he'll come over. Mm -hmm. And then you get really tormented heart ripping out. And then you get child abuse. I mean, it's pretty scattered as well. And yet you got short rounds who drag in the audience of people my age, nine years old. So they like to have comedy and action and all different types of things. So I I guess so you don't get complacent.
6: I think it feels like they're trying to do what Pixar does, but to the extreme, (laughs) where Pixar makes a kid's movie, but then they throw in stuff that... The adults will find funny and get, but it'll go over the kids' heads. And this movie does kind of the same thing, except it cranks it to 11.
1: You seem to have a lot of like unresolved feelings about this.
6: There's a naked duck in a bathtub. <laughs> what is that about? Why is that there?
3: And everybody focuses on the bathtub and forgets there's another naked duck in Play Duck. <laughs>
6: <laughs> well, yeah, because it, it, I saw that and I was like, oh, well, this must be this the naked duck that Arnie is talking about. And I was like, but I, you can't really see anything, you know? Uh, and, but then the bathtub scene comes and it's like full on. There they are.
3: Yes, they are. Now, you texted me a couple of things. You asked about the audience. You also said, and I don't know if this is sarcasm. I just can't tell. That you really enjoyed Jeffrey Jones and Tim Robbins' performances?
6: Oh my god, they're amazing. So, okay, once he becomes the Dark Overlord, he sells that. (laughs) He is in it to win it. (laughs) Uh, You'd almost think children should be
3: afraid of him.
2: Well,
6: yes. Michelle even said she doesn't remember a lot of the movie, particularly that portion of it. And she's wondering if maybe she kind of blocked it from her memory because it would have terrified her as a child.
3: I said earlier this show, the Dark Overlord frightened me when I was 11 years old.
6: Yeah, he's creepy.
3: I was more afraid when he turned into monster form and when his friends were coming down the laser. But yeah, Jeffrey Jones himself is the voice. It really works.
0: Yes, it's amazing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And Tim Robbins, the same year he would be in Top Gun in a much smaller role.
6: I think he, of all the cast, knew what movie he was in. And he played that role perfectly throughout. He never broke from the character that he was set out to play and. I think he did a phenomenal job at being dumb and dim witted and just flat out goofy.
3: What about Leah Thompson? How I mean you're praising the co-stars, but I am honestly curious what you thought of the lead's performance. I mean, you have to think she has a hard job selling attraction to a duck. When she's doing the corny humor stuff, all
6: in. I'm loving it. When she tries to play it straight, I can't go there, Leah. I just can't do it.
3: I absolutely love her performance of indignation when like she and Howard are fighting in front of the museum.
6: <laughs> yes, and she she does that that power
3: turn and hops uh-huh. off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah,
6: it's it yes, exactly. That stuff I'm all yes. Love it.
3: So I guess to use now playing parlance, the question is, would you recommend Howard the Duck? My knee jerk reaction
6: is yes. Yeah. Definitely recommend if you have never seen it if you have seen it you may not really need to see it again oh yeah you do unless you absolutely loved it the first time you saw it like arnie (laughs) for the other 99.8 percent of the populace you may not need to see it again
3: at least there's 0.2 percent of us
6: well there's you and there's that other
3: duck collector
1: (laughs) michael yeah we know him
3: (laughs) and somebody who outbid us both on a whole bunch of movie props all right. Well, Andrew, thanks. I, I actually really enjoyed getting the viewpoint of a newly hatched viewer.
6: <laughs> uh, our virgin. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, this was this was good. I'm glad that I finally got to see the, the movie that you've been talking about all these years. I'm not going to go out on eBay and try to start outbidding you. Don't worry.
3: Thank you for that. <laughs> Although there is one of those Howard maquettes I was talking about up right now on eBay, $150, and it is gorgeous.
6: I'll save it for a Hot Toy, I think.
3: Yes, Hot Toys Howard. We need that. And I'm talking this version, not the Guardians version. They'll make the Guardians version. I know they'll make the Guardians version. You hope. Rumor is, Guardians 2.
6: He almost has to have a bigger cameo in that movie, right? He, he has to.
3: I hope. All right, Andrew. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye, guys. See ya. Well, I actually got to talk to Leah Thompson about Howard the Duck in an exclusive interview. It turns out she was rather impressed when I met her in Indianapolis and had that jacket and all those other movie items. She doesn't really do interviews with podcasts and things, and we were able to talk to her. So here is her looking back at 30 years ago Howard the Duck. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So this year is actually the 30th anniversary of two of your films. We got both Howard the Duck and Space Camp. I know.
8: Crazy, huh?
3: You played very different characters in those two. In Space Camp, you were going much younger, you know, very teenage with the theme of that movie. In Howard, you were much more grown up. And of course, in Back to the Future, the year before you did both. How was that transition for you as an actress?
8: I mean it, it it's always fun to you know try to show off by doing really different different characters and um, you know and it's also fun because both of those movies Space Camp and Howard the Duck took 6 months to shoot so it's really once you when you're doing a character for a long time you kind of get sick of it and uh, so it's it's really fun to shift and do something else I mean the character I played in Space Camp was pretty much the most kind of, I don't want to say boring, but straight character I've ever played. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and after playing, you know, a girl in love with a duck, it was it was just kind of fun to really change it up.
3: So was Space Camp filmed after Howard?
8: No, before, because I remember, yeah, I, I did think I did Back to the Features on Space Camp, and then Howard the Duck. Yeah, because I remember when I was uh, shooting Howard the Duck is when I found out that the space shuttle blew up mm-hmm. and you know and because I felt so connected to the whole space program I mean it, it affected everybody but it also affected me in a different way because I'd like been living in the space shuttle you know for like six months we'd been in a mock-up and we'd met a lot of astronauts not the ones that, that were in it that, that exploded but it just it really hit home I was super, super, duper sad.
3: Yeah, I can imagine, and I know that kind of was a shadow over that film when it did come out.
8: Yes, for sure. That was not a good, good thing. And I re- also remember I got in really big trouble because I made a quip. You know, you just never know comedy so hard, but I, I was like when they were do- when I was doing the publicity for Howard the Duck. They asked me something about, you know, the space shuttle, and I was really sad. But then I said, well, hopefully there won't be a giant duck disaster before Howard the Duck. And I got (laughs) in big trouble for saying that. Oh, you never know. I mean, uh, you never know what you're going to say that's going to be taken, especially in print. (laughs) Anyway.
3: So I was wondering, which did take longer. I mean, you did Back to the Future, than you did Howard. Was it Lorraine's middle-aged makeup or Beverly's hair?
8: Beverly's hair was a complete nightmare. I don't know why I didn't put my foot down and say, give me a wig. But uh, yeah, it took over an hour every day. And I don't even know how I had any hair left on my head because it, it would like sizzle and steam as each crimp was put into my hair. I, 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 it was awful. It really took a long time. I was really exhausted when I did that movie. Because <laughs> it was like almost two hours in hair and makeup. So I think it was about the same as the old age. Some of the old age took
3: three hours. Between, you know, the special effects in Back to the Future and you worked more with the effects on the sequels, how did Willard Hike's effects work compared to Robert Zemeckis's?
8: Uh, Bob Zemeckis and Willard Hike. N- they're not comparable. I mean... <laughs> Bob Zemeckis was a, like a spex, special effects genius. I mean, obviously he went on to run that other... He, you know, is a he's a great, 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 great director. And, uh, yeah, his understanding um, of how to make all that stuff happen was as good as the actual effects guys, if not better. So he was... He, it was really fascinating, and, you know, it was really fascinating watching Bob Zemeckis Think through things, you know, uh, being a director now, I, I even admire him more. So, yeah, I mean, we had a great team. We had a good budget on, on Howard the Duck, but it was also like, uh, you know, the infancy, really, of, of special effects in, as, com- as compared to nowadays. Like the things they can do nowadays are just unbelievable. But one of the problems with nowadays is that they just rely on it so much instead of story and character, the, you know, the special effects. And after a while, you just kind of get exhausted. I do. I personally get exhausted in these special effects movies. I get kind of sick of looking at it. I'd rather see the actors act, you know. I remember telling Bob Zemeckis after doing Howard the Duck when he was about to do Roger Rabbit, I, I remember telling him that it's really, really important to have really good actors reading the lines off screen because it just... Uh, with all due respect, the puppeteers who were doing the lines for Howard the Duck were not very good actors, so it really made it hard to keep the scenes rolling. I mean, you know, people keep wanting to underestimate the power of acting, and ultimately it's what people really react to, I think. And so nowadays, most of the time, I think with these... um, Uh, movies with the people in the blue suit, they're they're smart. They get really good actors to do that. And so the other actors, it's a scene between two people, you know, and if one of the people is dropping the ball during during the game, it's a bad game. (laughs) You need someone to throw the ball back and forth in a good way in order for the scene to work. I mean, you can do a lot with editing, but you can't do everything with editing. So I think it, and Bob is listened to me. You know, he got a really good actor to do the voice of Roger Rabbit, and um, and it just made everything better. So I think that was one of the things that uh, was hard about Howard the does
3: And what about, Working with Ed Gale, he was actually in the suit. Was did that help at all? It
8: helped definitely. He was lovely and he's great, but he couldn't. Yeah, he was pantomiming and they did the lines for the most part. And it was definitely better with him than it was with the other guy, Jordan, I think his name was, um, who was only seven years old. um So yeah, the love scene was, you know, all that stuff. It was really difficult. Also, you just felt like you were torturing him. You know. It, the suit was very uncomfortable, and Ed was so brave. But yes, the puppeteers would read the lines, and, that, and they were working these really weird mechanical things that moved the face. So definitely made for some kind of stiff acting on everybody's part, I think. It was a hard thing to overcome.
3: Not to just focus on the the puppet, but you were also working with Tim Robbins and Jeffrey Jones, and what was your experience like with them?
8: Well, they are geniuses, so yeah, all those scenes were really fun, and they were great. It's much funnier than me, so it, whenever there was a scene just like with us, that was always fun, you know, because we could keep the ball going.
3: Now, in your recollection, was George Lucas very involved in the making of Howard, or was it more Willard Hyke?
8: there. I mean, he was specifically there in certain instances where there was, like, a lot of tension. I remember specific, specifically when I had to do all the um, singing um, in front of the big audience and uh, uh, also the little audience when I'm in that little cage place. He was there, and um, I guess those were expensive sequences, so he showed up and and uh, he was lovely. You know, he was around. Uh, he was, he, he's really good friends with Willard and Gloria, so my recollection was that he was around, but not all the time.
3: And talking about the singing, I heard you talk in Indiana about how you were you know, worried about being overdubbed, but you did get to do all the vocals there. hmm I was wondering how much you worked with Thomas Dolby and George Clinton with that song.
8: I worked with Thomas every weekend. Uh, we never got a day... I never got a day off. I was always learning how to play the guitar, um... Recording, re-recording, rehearsing, choreography, um, all that stuff took a long time. And, uh, yeah, they always kind of held it over me that the, in the end they might not let me sing. But I sang just fine. I didn't sing great, but I didn't sing badly. I sang just fine. And, um, you know, a lot of people like those songs. So I, I learned how to sing better much later in my career, like when I was like 38. Thirty-nine. I started singing and then I sang on Broadway and I got a lot more confidence about it. I mean, I always knew I could carry a tune, but um, I didn't, you know, have a lot of control over my voice. But now I'm really confident. I like to sing. And Thomas was really a champion. He was really happy with my singing. And it was a little intimidating because some, the other girls in my band were, or two of the other girls in my band were like real singers and so it was a little intimidating sometimes with them, but by the time I was done, I felt like a real singer.
3: Yeah, I mean, you did have to perform that in front of that huge audience, and I thought you sounded very good in it, so...
8: Yeah, the hard part was the the choreography, like the guitar was really heavy, and I had to do the splits, and there was all this kind of choreography, so... And also, I really learned the guitar parts. I was I was really playing those guitar parts, not obviously not as well as the, the show, but as the person who actually recorded it. But I had to learn all of that, which, you know, was interesting.
3: When you were working on the film with, you know, having an anthropomorphized duck, which kind of aims younger, but he's working at bathhouses and such, did you ever think who the target audience for this was or who you were playing to?
8: Sure. Sure. That was one of like my first questions which there was no answer.
2: <laughs> it's
8: still not answered. Uh I think one of the reasons that it it's 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 um such a beloved movie to so many people who grew up watching it is that their parents didn't even notice <laughs> what was going on. So, you know, people had this weird glimpse into adult dumb through this externally looking kid movie. Yeah, it was a uh, I mean, I knew it was really subversive, which I kind of liked. You know, I thought it was hilarious. And I think it's actually hilarious that people are disturbed about a girl having a relationship with a half-human duck. Like, really? Come on. (laughs) Like, that's (laughs) my, you know, gosh. It was, you know...
3: Well, you say half-human duck. That reminded me Cronenberg's The Fly came out the same year. Two Uh, totally different takes of half-human relationships there.
8: Yeah, I mean, really, he was an alien species. I mean, that's more the strangeness that she was in love with an alien. But he seemed more like a human than a duck to me, the way he acted. But I still find it hilarious that people are scandalized. Even my children are scandalized by it. They've never even seen the whole movie. Once it gets to the love scene with the duck, they're like, we're over this. And I'm like, you guys, come on, you're actors, you're like adults, you can watch the rest of this movie, you never even got to my big number at the end.
3: In that scene, I've always taken your performance, and I'm I'm glad I finally get the chance to hear from you what you were thinking your character's motivation was there, but I always thought you were just kind of calling his bluff and teasing. And now I've, I've heard some people take that scene so seriously, but I've always seen it as kind of joking. What was your thought of Beverly's motivation there?
8: Well, in the comic book, they, they're they in a relationship, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not wrong about that. They're like in a full relationship. So I was teasing him for whatever, calling his bluff, which is supposed to be the comedy part about it. But I mean, I took it that if there was a sequel, they were a couple, like, that would be it. So, yeah. I mean, but anyway, it's so hilarious that people take it super seriously. (laughs) I mean, it's like a, a silly movie. Like, really?
3: You talked about how hard the press was on this movie after it came out, but these days, it seems especially with all the new Marvel movies, Howard is becoming fondly remembered and found late for what it was and being the first Marvel movie. When did you notice this... Change of tone towards it.
8: I noticed that after it was, after it was put, after Howard was put into the Guardians of the Galaxy, it was like it was like everybody was like, oh, okay, we can kind of come out of the closet and be like Howard the Duck fans. And I'm sure it takes Marvel people by surprise that there are so many Howard the Duck fans. But I'm absolutely certain that the DVD sells well because. A, I've signed a lot of them, and B, they wouldn't have released it in Blu-ray, which I I believe they did, if it wasn't selling, and they wanted to sell it again to people who would already bought the VCR and bought the the DVD. I mean, I have movies that I think are bigger hits that have never been released in Blu-ray or even DVD. So, obviously, Universal's making money from Howard the Duck. They don't do it out of the goodness of their heart, especially a movie that's such a mega bomb for them, you know, in terms of publicity. But I think that also there, yeah, I think it was the Guardians of the Galaxy made people like kind of be able to admit that they liked the movie a lot. And a lot of people, I mean, I do a lot of comic cons. I meet a lot of fans and there are a lot of Howard the Duck fans all over the world.
3: Yeah, that cameo at the end of Guardians, that had to be because of your movie. I mean, they could have put any comic character in there, but there's a reason why you end with a stinger joke with the duck.
8: Yeah, I'll be really, I'm really interested in it because I I did meet Stan Lee and he didn't know that I was the star of Howard the Duck somehow or, and he started, and it it came up in conversation and he was like, not happy about the movie (laughs) 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 was the general feeling I got. So I'll be really interested in when, I don't think it's a when or if, I think it's when they, when they make a Howard the Duck movie, whether they pay homage to the movie, to my Howard the Duck movie or not, or whether they try to pretend it didn't happen. I, I think it's going to be the, the former. I don't know, because people ask me that all the time. If there's a Howard the Duck movie, do you think you have a cameo? And, I was, and I'm always like, only if someone as savvy as J.J. J. Abrams, because he's like so cool, like, he's always, like, acknowledging the past when he goes into the future. Like, he, he, he's smart enough to want to drag the old fans into the new. hmm And he's not snobby about that. Like, he, he would probably never do that. But somebody's going to do it. I know they will.
3: Yeah, I think James Gunn would do it if he would include those cameos. He's the one who did Guardians. He has that kind of sensibility.
8: hmm Oh, my God, what a great movie that was. Guardians of the Galaxy. See, that was a movie that I thought that had a lot of special effects, but really relied on the actors and the characters and didn't get like, you know, they just go too long with those action sequences and they lose me. But that was a beautifully executed special effects movie.
3: Now, recently you did Dancing with the Stars, and tremendous job on that, by the way. Thank you. You did the photo shoot with that classic Howard the Duck crew jacket.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Was that your original jacket? Yeah. Do you still have any other items from the shoot?
8: I have all the costumes, almost all the costumes. I don't know where they are. They're, they, my daughter stole one of the shirts, and I have all the costumes.
3: Shoes and
8: everything, and the
3: crew jacket. So, having lived with Howard for over 30 years now, including the filming, what is your favorite enduring memory or what you first think of when you look back?
8: I don't know. Maybe my relationship with Ed Gale. He was so sweet. He was such a, a trooper. Uh, for me, maybe that. He was so lovely.
3: And
8: I'd say that, probably.
3: Have you kept in contact with that at all?
8: A little bit. Yeah, I think I get a Christmas card from him. Not too much. I always think I'll see him at a Comic-Con, but I don't because he's done so many things. But that and and then my other thing is just how lovely the fans are, you know, and I feel like they're like ha- have been put upon. <laughs> you know, I'm so, for some reason, they're like my favorite fans because, you know, it's taken such hard knocks, the movie, so in order to be a Howard the Duck fan, you have to be a diehard Howard the Duck fan, <laughs> and I love them for that.
3: And just to let people know what you're currently working on, you've been doing the Freeform series, Switched at Birth, and the final season of that starts in 2017?
8: Yes, in January, I think January 27th.
3: And what other projects do you have coming up where your fans can watch you?
8: Um, Right now, my only... Uh, did, um, I directed a movie that my daughter Madeline wrote and starred in and did the score she wrote the music for. And my daughter Zoe Deutsch is also in it along with myself. And it's called The Year of Spectacular Men. And But I don't know when that's going to come out. So that's been a really, you know, directing an independent movie is a very all-consuming task. So luckily I got to do that while I had a, my other job switched at birth, but I'm not sure when that's going to come out, and um, I'm also um, directing the Goldbergs, so I'm doing a lot of directing right now, but hopefully somebody will give me another acting job soon, they usually do, it doesn't take long.
3: Oh, the Goldbergs is a great show, so...
8: I know, I'm really excited to direct it, it'll be my first uh, job directing where I'm not in it, I've directed some TV movies, the Jane Doe movies and Switched at Birth, and now my movie, and every one of those I've been in. So this will be the, my first real directing gig, you know, that I'm not hired for as an actor. And so I'm excited about that. So right now is like the first time that i am I'm been completely open for a long time. So anybody out there who hears this want to give me a job, that's good. <laughs>
3: All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great talking to you.
8: Thank you. I hope I didn't sound too negative about Howard the Duck. I, I love the movie and I love the fans and I'm really, really glad that I did it. And I, I thought it was a really, really fun to be a rock star in love with the duck. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Nice to talk to you.
3: Well, that is our show for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this look back at Howard. I know I have. This is my favorite show of this year.
4: I'm just happy that we've done it right now. I can stop getting all these alerts that we're going to do a malaricious toys.
3: (laughs) Turns out somehow I sent you an alert or put a calendar invite on without realizing it was set up for daily reminders starting 30 days in advance.
4: Like at 1130 at night. (laughs) (laughs) Every day at Comic-Con, we were getting malaricious alerts. But no, it's... This is fun, and I know this is this is kind of your baby, Arnie, and I know it's it's easy to poke fun at a lot of this stuff, but at the end of the day, I really do think it's cool that you are the or one of the curators of the Howard the Duck props and movie stuff. Like that's that's cool. Thank you. I really do dig that.
3: Well, honestly, my love for this all began I mean I'd always love the movie. But it was when Now Playing reviewed this in our lead-up to the Avengers back in 2011. And you can find that review at nowplayingpodcast.com. And it's to this day my favorite Now Playing episode ever. We laughed so hard. We go two hours. I'm I'm defending the movie. But that's when I realized that this was special to me. And that was five years ago now.
1: And you really always love the movie. I mean, it's always been Arnie loves Howard the Duck. And I think that... It's almost like a whole new world opened up for you, and you're like, oh my god, I can buy all this stuff.
4: Yeah, I mean, you own you own duck boobs and a duck animatronic from the movie, which is creepy. And, and a
1: duck nipple. Don't forget the nipple.
3: A single nipple. You
4: still have to track down that other nipple at some point. Yep.
3: And a couple different latex heads and the feet, and yeah, it's, it's become...
4: Oh, and the creepy life mask. I can't forget about that. The Jeffrey life mask.
3: Yes, that is insane. But that does end this show. We'll be back in two weeks with a much more pedestrian, human-based show, probably <laughs> reviewing some X-Men legends.
4: Oh, uh, yeah, Deadpool. Maybe in 29 years we'll reconvene and we'll go over my my love of all things Deadpool on its 30th anniversary. <laughs>
1: i think it's a date
4: (laughs) all right mark it
1: i'll set the daily reminders
2: now
3: (laughs) so until next time this egg is cracked
2: beat it leave me alone
4: that's the way you want it and so long ducky
0: thank you for listening to this episode of marvelicious toys i
2: feel much
0: better There's even more Marvelicious content at our website, MarveliciousToys.com.
2: Wow, that sounds great.
0: At the site, you can see pictures of the products we discussed, find checklists for Marvel toys, talk and trade toys in the Marvelicious forums, and much more. It lies beyond
7: the planets. It is a region of demons Mm -hmm. to which we
0: Mm -hmm. dark overlords were exiled eons ago.
2: I hope you're getting
0: all this. It's all at com.
2: Maybe you're just the kind of bizarro influence we need.
0: Marvelicious Toys is a fan-run show that relies on listener support to keep the show going. I'm not in a real good mood tonight, Ginger. I want the money. You can pledge to our Podbean fundraising campaign by going to com slash support. Backers get rewards including exclusive video content, early show releases, and more.
2: The money. Sure, sure, here. Here, take the money. Take it, it's yours. Take it.
0: You can also help out our show by telling your friends to listen by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or in person. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star written review on iTunes.
8: Mr. Duck, you're wonderful.
0: A link to our iTunes feed is at MarveliciousToys.com.
8: Okay. Okay.
1: Let's go for it, Mr. Macho.
0: We want your feedback on Marvelicious Toys. You can email us at show at com
2: or post your thoughts in our forums. Huh?
5: You got some place go, to go?
2: Hey, if I now, had some place to go, I, I certainly wouldn't be in Cleveland.
0: You can also find Marvelicious Toys on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Find all those links at MarveliciousToys.com.
2: They get the point, Denning!
0: We want to hear your thoughts on Marvel collectibles. You can leave reports of your latest toy finds as well as product reviews by emailing an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at com. All content received is subject for use on the show. Hey,
1: are we like all in the same discussion here?
0: If you also like Star Wars, Star Wars Collecting is covered at our other podcast, Star Wars Action News, which you can find at SWActionNews.com.
5: The cosmos. Countless worlds upon worlds. Worlds without end. In these galaxies, every possible reality exists. And what is reality on any one world is mere fantasy on all others.
0: Marvelicious Toys is produced and edited by Artie Carvalho. No sex now, I'm working. Video editing by Barrett, Andrew, and Daryl. Desperate ducks commit desperate acts. Website design by Jason.
2: I've got a headache, and I got the asp. Be gentle.
0: Graphic design by Justin. It's not nice to fool with the dark overlord. Photo editing by Jeff, Scott, and Curtis.
1: This is why I hate the night shift.
2: Announcements by Brock. Well, sex appeal. Some guys got it. And some guys don't. (laughs) Howard.
0: If you want to hear reviews of every movie ever based on Marvel Comics, check out those reviews and hundreds more on the Now Playing Podcast at nowplayingpodcast.com.
2: Oh, look, Ginger, I warned you, when you got into rock management, you'll be dealing with the entertainment types. You know, uh...
0: Marvel Comics and all of the Marvel Multiverse contains are the intellectual property of Marvel Entertainment Incorporated, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. I want to see your license, Jack. I have no license. I am not Jack. Marvelicious Toys is a Vinganza Media Production, copyright 2016, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. That's
2: it. No more Mr. Nice Duck. Not bad for a duck from outer space. You were great, ducky.
1: Hello and welcome to a very special episode
3: of Malerlicious.
1: Let me do that again.
3: Yeah, that's Malerlicious a hard word. is hard to say. It is. It's yes, a, it I, is. It's, it's a Marvelicious runs off the tongue, but well, it rolls off the tongue. Not runs off. Okay. No, it flees. It flees. Okay. <laughs> in August 1986, three years ago, the clown in his Violator form. Yep. Yeah. Look at me dropping the dark horse, <laughs> or the IDW or whoever the <laughs> publishes that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Might have been Image.
3: The image, that's it. <laughs> and I mean, it makes as much sense as when Leisure Shoot Larry went to Out Volcanic Island, right? Sure.
1: I- is that a crossover?
3: That really should be, is the two of them out cruising for checks. Oh my god, that's a pun. <laughs> <laughs> and it won't be the last one tonight, folks. <laughs>
2: It might be the first unintentional...